You're listening to the Riverwalk, a ministry of Beth River Baptist Church in Winsboro, Louisiana. Today's message is about silent suffering, how you do not have to suffer in silence. And for those that are not suffering in silence, this is a way to help those that are. Hope you enjoy. If you have a Bible this morning, and I really hope you do, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. One thing I would like you to realize this morning, before we get too deep into this, the person writing this is the Apostle Paul, and he writes to a church. This is a church in 1 Corinthians, a church in the city of Corinth, and I want you to realize the person writing this knew his recipients really well. It's important for you to realize this later on. It's a church that the Apostle Paul founded. It was a church plant. And he did this in Acts chapter 18. So these people he's writing to are people that he knew really well. He knew their backgrounds really, really well. He knew where they were from, the kind of things they were involved in. And this is just a series of letters that were going back and forth, and he instructs them in various things. So keep that in the back of your mind this morning, that Paul knew these believers really well. He knew them before they came to Christ. So keep that in the back of your mind this morning. But before we get there, let me share with you, if you were not here last week, last week was our Sanctity of Life service. And last week you heard my mother speak and she shared her story. But really, more than that, she shared my grandmother's story about how my grandmother suffered in silence. She suffered in silence for years in an abusive household with a a father who would go on three-day binges who was a drunk and somebody who was suffering in silence and who wanted to get out of that situation so very bad that she came up with a plan to get pregnant. And her plan was successful. She got pregnant with my mother. If you were here last week, you heard that. And if you were not here, I encourage you to go listen to the podcast from last week. It's quite a story. I've heard that story before. But after hearing it last week, I kind of thought of it in a new context. It's how much suffering that teenage girl must have been going through to want to do something like that in the 1950s. So her plan was successful. There's no getting around it. She sinned, but her plan was successful to get pregnant. But guess what? It didn't go as planned because my grandfather did not want to be a dad. He did not want to get married. So not only was she suffering in silence leading to getting pregnant, she gets pregnant. And now she's suffering in silence even more because she does not want to tell her drunken father. And she does not want to tell her Christian mother. So she's suffering and silence even more. And then she starts putting on weight and then somebody notices and confronts her. And then finally she comes to the point where she admits she's pregnant. And then, y'all heard the story, she ends up going to the seller's home, a home for unwed mothers in New Orleans. And she suffers in silence some more. And I got to thinking about that last week, and and it's been all around me this week, of how often we have people that are suffering in silence. And I'm reminded that sometimes sin is committed because of fear of unforgiveness. Sin is committed because people suffer in silence. And it's not an unwarranted fear. It's really not. It's a very much real fear. And we as a church, we should understand that there are people, real people, suffering in silence. And 
the people that are suffering in silence, so often they don't turn to a church. They turn to somebody else. I have to wonder, back in the 1950s, if my grandmother was in a city while she was suffering in silence, while she was suffering in silence of being pregnant, who would she have turned to? If she was in a city, it's a very real possibility my grandmother could have walked down the road to a place called Planned Parenthood, a place known to understand young women in crisis. She could have done that, and Brother Kevin probably would not have been here today. I don't want you to get the wrong idea this morning, church, because we're right to preach and to teach against abortion. We're right to preach and teach against sin, and nothing I say here today is going to be an excuse for sin. But sometimes, very oftentimes, women have one out of fear of of being judged. Women will, will have an abortion for fear of being judged over an affair. Women will have an abortion over fear of a sexual relationship before marriage. Sometimes women, even teenagers, are are raped. And and they're scared to death to to admit that. They're scared to death to expose a a sin that happened. So they go to the world and they hide a problem and they suffer in silence even more. And I just was thinking about that last week during a Sanctity of Life service. How many good, maybe even Christian women, come and are still suffering in silence because of decisions made years and years ago. But hey, look, it's not just women. It's not in any way, shape, or form just women. Sometimes people suffer with drug and alcohol abuse for fear of unforgiveness because they're scared a church won't understand what caused it in the first place. I'll give you an example. I thought of it this week. I know somebody very, very close to me. True story. He was sexually abused as a young man. Sexually abused as a young man. His parents tried to cover it up. He covered it up. The man today is free, doing just fine. And the person that was abused tried to cover that pain with drug and alcohol. And that person is in jail today. It's horrible. I wish I could go back in time and just say, Hey man, open up. Quit suffering in silence and let me help you with this. Let me tell you there's a better way. You don't have to suffer in silence. Sometimes people struggle with the guilt of any kind of sin because they don't think others, especially Christians, would understand it. So in an effort to understand, an effort to find somebody that that understands what they're going to, they go out into the world. They'll go out into a world where they say, I'm struggling with an unplanned pregnancy, help me. And the world will say, well, just get rid of it and hide the problem. They're struggling with an abusive home situation. They're struggling with parents fighting. They're struggling with maybe them being abused. So what do they do? They go to the drug dealer. They go to the friend. And they say, you know what? Just do this drug. Drink this drink. And it'll make the pain go away. And what happens? That pain may go away, but then more pain happens and it just, it keeps building and it keeps building and it keeps building. And church, I want you to understand this morning that sin leads to suffering, but God does not want any of us, especially his children, to suffer in silence. And I'm going to read a passage of scripture this morning. It's a familiar passage. And most people outside the walls of this church, a lot of people know this passage. And this is the reason a lot of people would rather suffer in silence than open up. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul writes, and, 
And the Corinthian church, man, this church had all kinds of stuff going on. There was uh, sexual immorality in the church. You read it in chapter 5 about a man who had a relationship with his own father's wife. I mean, all kinds of bad stuff was going on. And Paul gets very blunt in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he asks him a question. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. He lists a lot of things here, church, but I want you to notice something. What is he listing? What is he listing? He's not listing sins. He's writing about people. Church, I want to tell you, no matter how you feel about these people, they are people. I'd like you this morning to look at these people and put a face on them. Put a face on them, these unrighteous people. It's not a sin, it's a person. These are real people. These are real sons and daughters. These are real people. These are real wives and they're real husbands. They're real brothers. They're real sisters. These are real people that Paul knew. These are real people that he knew that were suffering. And we all know people like this. I guarantee you, everybody in here knows somebody that fits in every one of these situations. Teenagers, you know somebody that fits the, the fornication. You know somebody that fits the adultery. You know somebody that fits the drunkards. And even everybody in here probably knows somebody that fits the homosexual category. But they're people. And we should understand. We should do our best to understand these are real people that God loves, that God made in His image. And let me tell you something, folks. Everything in here, you put faces on these people and you will realize one universal truth, that sin leads to suffering. Sin leads to suffering. Everything in here, these are not happy individuals. These are people that are suffering. Sin leads to depression. We know this in Romans. Paul said the wages of sin is death. And we know it. Sins listed in this passage, you see sexual immorality, you see idolatry, you see adulterers, you see homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, rivalers, swindlers. It's a simple cause and effect. You try to hide one thing by doing something else. And I can tell you, it, lists, it leads to physical suffering, it leads to emotional suffering, and it leads to spiritual suffering. I hate the thought that there's people suffering in silence and they're so scared to turn to a Christian brother and sister that they would turn to a drug dealer, that they would turn to a Planned Parenthood, that they would turn to Twitter and they would turn to YouTube and they would find out how to take matters into their own hands. And they just suffer and suffer and suffer in silence. I want you to notice in this passage that while all of these are listed and some you'll be able to identify with and some you will not be able to identify with. But here's the thing, church, that sin is equal. There's no hierarchy of sin. James says, and James, I don't know the specific scripture, but it says if you've committed, if you've broke one commandment, you've broken them all. So there's no hierarchy of sin. And even if there was... Even if this was some kind of hierarchy of sin, homosexuality isn't even at the top of the list. Jesus said that even the thought of adultery is as bad as actually committing adultery. So that means, men, if you see an attractive woman go by, even the thought of that is as bad as if you actually cheated on your wife. There's no hierarchy of sin. And church, I want to tell you, if you truly care about others, and I believe we do, I really believe we do. But if we truly care about others, then we must stop 
treating other sin differently than our own. We must stop looking at people like their sin is different than our own sin because every one of us in here are sinners. And some things that we've got to realize about sin. You know, Isaiah said that our righteousness is as of filthy rags. Just imagine the prophet Isaiah writing that. Isaiah was a righteous man. He's a man that, that died a martyr's death. But even he said, are, meaning him too, that as holy as he could be, could not even touch a holy God. We've got to realize some, some truths about sin. Listen, there is absolutely no sin whatsoever that God approves of. A righteousness is as a filthy rags. That means lying is as bad as committing adultery. There's no sin, absolutely no sin that God approves of. And look, there is no sin, there is absolutely no sin that we should accept just because our culture does. Just because it's socially acceptable for a man to marry a man and a woman to marry a woman, we don't accept that because the Bible says it's not to be. Just because it's socially acceptable for a woman to have an abortion, we don't accept that because the Bible says different. Just because divorce is now as common as anything else, we strive to have an intact family because the Bible says this is how a family should look. One man, one woman, till death do you part. We strive for that. So there's no sin that we accept because our culture does. But let me tell you something else. There's some good news that we don't talk about. There is absolutely no sin that God cannot forgive. Not one. I read through Genesis, through Revelation, and we read about murderers. We read about adulterers. Today we're reading about homosexuality. We read about everything, and there is not one, not one single, not one single sin that God cannot forgive. And church, if there's no sin that God cannot forgive, let me tell you something. As a church, there should be no sin that we're not willing to forgive, right? There should be no sin. That means if a woman had an abortion last week and she felt guilty about it, that she should be able to come to this church and find forgiveness in the arms of a pastor. That means if somebody had a homosexual lifestyle, they should be able to come to this church and find forgiveness because there is no sin that God cannot forgive. That doesn't mean they come here and we accept them and we tell them it's right. That means we can say that, hey, God will forgive you and I will forgive you because there's no sin that God cannot forgive. And church, let me remind you of something else. If you haven't realized it already, there is no sinner that God does not love. Not one. If, just think about this. If, if God loved David after having an affair and conspiring to murder, you know, a lot of people believe that, that David actually raped that woman. If God still loves David, then there's nobody that God doesn't love. Church, we've got to realize these things. If we care about these people and we want people to start making real pro-life decisions, if we want to get people from stop, stopping the suffering and silence, then we've got to realize these things. And sometimes, our, sometimes what we preach is different than our practice. And we, you know these things. We read these things. But sometimes we practice something far different. And now... I was thinking about this and I was praying about this this week and it just, it hit me and it really is heavy on my shoulders because I don't want to have any responsibility whatsoever in a person's sin. Now don't get me wrong. Ultimately, everybody has that decision. Don't get me wrong. It, your decision is your decision. 
I mean, you can't blame me for what you decide to do, but I don't want to have any influence on that decision. The decision you make, I want to influence you to make a sin-free decision. I don't want to have any responsibility for a person's sin. And I don't want this church to either. I don't want someone suffering in silence to turn to the world as a means of comfort. It terrifies me that there might be somebody outside this church that's suffering just like my grandma was suffering. It might go to YouTube and find resources for Planned Parenthood when there's a church right down the road with the pastor willing to listen to them. I'm scared to death there might be somebody who's been sexually abused in our own community, which, by the way, we know has happened. And instead of turning to believers that love them and will understand them, will go somewhere else and take matters into their own hands. I don't want the pregnant woman to get an abortion, and I don't want the struggling to turn to drugs. I don't want a person suffering to lead to suicide, and it happens all the time. So what can we do? What can we do? What can Brother Kevin do? What can we do as a church? And listen, I've wrote down three things, and three things that I look at this list, and I just think if they could have these three things that it can make all the difference in the world. Because listen, in America in 2020, America is a society where we have pro-choice. Women have the choice whether they commit abortion or not. Men and women have a, a choice of what kind of relationships they have. And it might not ever change, but what if we as a church could help them make the right choice? Hey, you know what? I would be fine. Abortion could be legal if everybody made the decision to keep their baby. That'd be the best way to do it. But they don't do that because we don't do these things. So listen, three things, church. First off, what would it look like if we as a church would make an effort to understand? There's some things we'll never understand everything, but there's some things we can understand. We can understand that we're all sinners. And we can understand that we cannot possibly know what that other person's going through. We understand by, by just listening. And church, I just want to tell you something this morning. That listening is not accepting. Having an open ear is not accepting a person's sin. We need to understand that this morning. We need to be willing to listen. Forgiveness is available and is needed for everyone. We can understand that this morning. We understand by, by simply listening. And listening helps us to be less quick to judge. Sometimes all a person needs is a listening ear. I could tell you story after story after story where if a person just had somebody to talk to, what a difference it can make. There's a story that that I heard just last week ago about a man who had a relationship in high school with a lady and a teenage girl. And he was hungry and he said, you know what, I'm going to go make some French toast. And just immediately something went off. And that young lady, and he could tell something wasn't right. At the time, he wasn't a believer either, and he didn't understand what was going on. And he he pressed a little bit harder, and he kept pressing, and finally she admitted what was going on. And what would happen when she was a young lady, she'd go stay with her grandparents. And every time she'd stay with her grandparents during the middle of the night, her grandfather would get up, go in her room, and rape her. And guess what? The next morning, grandmother totally unaware... We make French toast. This young lady was suffering in silence. It's the first person she ever told. Well, guess what? Her innocence was taken. She goes to high school. The kind of love she finds or the, is the kind of love the world 
encourages. She gets guys that treat her bad, guys that look down at her, guys that abuse her body, guys that might love her body but don't love her. Conversely, every woman she's with offers compassion and understanding. You see where this is going? Today she's a practicing lesbian. I just wish we could go back in time and, and that, that woman or that girl would just confide in somebody, confide in a pastor, confide in a Christian friend, and tell somebody what was going on. Could it be that maybe she tried, but she couldn't find a Christian who was willing to listen? And church, if, if you're here this morning suffering in silence, I assure you someone's willing to listen. If nobody else is, I am. And church, let me make this statement. If we don't listen to them, if we don't listen to the sinner, why in the world will we expect the sinner to listen to us? If the forgiven don't listen to the unforgiven, how can we expect the unforgiven to listen to the forgiven? We expect to go out there and we're going to preach, 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 and they're just going to accept it like that. It just, it could work that way, but it usually doesn't. Church, everybody's favorite topic is themselves. I submit to you this morning, let's make an effort to listen. listen is, listening is not accepting. Listening is loving. That's the second thing. Let's make an effort to listen, and let's make an effort to love. Listen, every person listed in these few verses, from the, from the, the drunkards to the sodomites, we're called to love. We're called to love all of these people mentioned in this verse, even the people that we're not. We're called to love the Democrats like we're called to love the Republicans. We're called to love the black like we're called to love the white. And we're called to love the homosexuals. People talk to those they love. Show love and show understanding. You'll show Jesus to them. Jesus said this. He said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Jesus loved without prejudice. We should do the same. We listen. We love. And third, we forgive. Matthew 18, 21 says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Church, we've got to be at a place that we're willing to forgive. Matthew 6.15, Jesus said, If you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. To come out of the silent suffering, the suffering need to know that forgiveness is available. I just, I hate the thought that somebody maybe in this room has been carrying this weight of unconfessed sin or this weight you think you've got to do it all alone, this weight that you think nobody's going to listen, that nobody's going to understand, that nobody is going to love, and that nobody is going to forgive. And it just scares me to death that you think that in a church that I pastor, I hope that's not the case. Suffering need to know that forgiveness is available not only from Jesus, but from us too. People suffer in silence because they think that Christians are unwilling to understand, unwilling to listen, unwilling to love, and unwilling to forgive. How can we prove them wrong? Remember I said this was a church that was founded by the Apostle Paul. This is a church that he knew very well. He knew these kind of people.
And normally we read this and we stop just where I stop. But the most beautiful, the most beautiful part of this passage is verse 11. He lists all these people. And then verse 11, he makes the statement, And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And you know, my hope is one day for a Sanctity of Life Sunday, I'd love to have a woman stand behind here and say, Hey, I made that decision to have an abortion and I've regretted it every day. But I was justified. I was washed. I was sanctified. God forgave me of it and I can move on. We can prove the world wrong by being willing to stand up and just say, Hey, I fit in that category, but I was washed, I was sanctified, and I was justified. Look at it again and picture faces. Fornicators. That was Mamma Linda. That was Mamma Linda. Adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, covetous, drunkards. Drunkards, that was great grandpa. Great grandpa Carsey. He was. There ain't no question about it. Covetous, rivalers, hey, rivalers, let me tell you something. That's your pastor. Drunkards, that's your pastor sometimes. There's categories in here I fall into. And I absolutely, positively, there's categories in here that every one of you fall into. As such were some of you. Paul wrote this, and he knew the people he, were ta- he was talking to. There was people in that church that fit every category. There were people in that church that used to be homosexuals. There were people in that group that used to be sodomites. There were people in that group that used to be fornicators, idolaters. And the list goes on and on and on. And Paul said, such were some of you, but... He said, but... Listen, there's a way to come out of the silent suffering. The silent suffering comes out when we're willing enough to find Jesus and find forgiveness. My grandmother was here today. I've heard that story a lot growing up, and I heard it from my grandmother. My grandmother wasn't afraid to admit that she made a mistake. She wasn't afraid to admit that was wrong. But listen, she can look back on it now and say, hey, God meant it for good. I messed up, but now I'm washed, I'm sanctified, I'm forgiven, and I got to start over again. Church, what, where is your face in this passage? I mean, when you read it, where do you fit in? I'd like to say that, that most of you fit in the verse 11, that you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. But maybe not. Maybe you're here today and you're suffering in silence and you've never found that saving grace. You could do that. You could do that this morning. Have you found the forgiveness or are you suffering in silence? Are you contributing to others suffering in silence? I hope that after today that we could put as much silent suffering to an end as we can. Thank you for listening to the River Walk today. I hope you enjoyed today's message and I hope you understood it. Look, if you're suffering in silence, regardless of the situation, I hope you know you don't have to. I hope you know you've got somebody close to you who's willing to listen, who already loves you, and who's willing to forgive. If you're suffering in silence and you need somebody to talk to, reach out to me, brbcliddyville at gmail.com, and I'll try my best to get you the help you need. Reach out to a Christian friend or another pastor. 
and you can stop the silent suffering. Thanks and have a great week.